Hello, and welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. We trust you'll benefit from our unique lineup of CEOs, generals, and leaders from all business sectors. Whether you're an aspiring, inspiring leader or a seasoned leader seeking further motivation, this podcast provides you with practical life tips, sound wisdom, and world-class leadership advice. I'm your host, Jonathan Bowman Perks. So hi, my name is Lee Bowman Perks, and I'd like to welcome you to this remarkable 300th episode of the Inspiring Leadership Podcast, where I have taken command and control of the mic. Do you like my military connection, Jonathan? <laughs> I'm very impressed. Commander control. Commander control. And I've got um, a dog here who's just out of control. <laughs> <laughs> no control there. Um, it's my privilege to introduce you to our extraordinary podcast host, host who has guided us us through this incredible journey, Jonathan Bowman Perks, MBE, and clearly my husband, um, switching him from the host seat to the actual hot seat. So through his life, Jonathan has embarked on a remarkable path that encompasses a wide range of roles and achievements from military to corporate and to running his own business. And I don't know about you all, but I'm really excited to hear about these achievements <laughs> today. Yeah. So um, he's now a trusted leadership advisor and top team performance coach to CEOs and executives around the world. And he is renowned for orchestrating motivational offsites and delivering compelling speeches around the world too. Currently, he resides happily in his Lincolnshire um, home uh, with alongside his wife, Lee, who uh, rumour has it is actually amazing, fun and utterly brilliant. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you're in my good books for tonight and they're surrounded by their four married children and two grandchildren and now we can officially announce that we have a third along the way so join us as we delve into this extraordinary life story of Jonathan Bowman Perks a journey defined by determination steadfast values and an unwavering dedication to the pursuit of leadership excellence this 300th episode is not merely a celebration of numerical milestones. It is also a celebration of a life enriched by profound experiences and an unshakable commitment to inspire greatness in others. So, Jonathan, welcome to your own podcast series. <laughs> well, thank you, Lee. It feels so strange to be out of control. <laughs> there you are in charge and I'm here at the other end. I don't know where it's going to go. This is going to be a lot of fun. I will be kind. Okay, if, I'm sure. Yeah, and maybe a little bit ruthless along the way. <laughs> I think so. I think so. so. Superb. So I, I think we need to start with we learned so much from the stories uh, shared by other leaders that you interview, and you're always able to uncover um, a rich tapestry filled with inspiration, compassion, vulnerability, drive, and even areas of toxicity. So you kind of take people through their highs and their lows. It's a real skill. But now it's your turn. So can you share your st story, the then, the now, the how, how this has led you to the inspiring leadership work that you do today and this amazing podcast, which is now in the top 1.5% around the world? Thank you, Lee. Well, that's really kind. It feels it feels really strange um, to be talking about me, uh, my favorite topic, you know, and now you're talking about me. Um, so then... Um, 
1962. I'm going to be 62 next month. Um, I think the early years were shaped by the heroic le legacy of my father, um, Lieutenant Commander Paul Heath Perks. Uh, his hat is on my back wall for anybody who watches this on YouTube and his sword hangs up there and pictures of him. And um, yeah, he was killed age 33 when I was just two and a half. Uh, saving the lives of two other people and, and you know, a, a Royal Navy fleet air armed fighter pilot who made the ultimate sacrifice, which leaders do. So I think he's continues to be a, a huge positive force in my life. Uh, my late mother, uh, she really, because obviously father was killed when I was two and a half. So she brought the three boys up on her own and uh, inculcated her values our yorkshire heritage and you know we were brought brought up in halifax born in scarborough brought up in halifax and her her sort of quaker upbringing which is all around listening and emotional intelligence and respect for other people who are different and and helping people who don't have what we have uh, and then she became church of england and i'm the youngest of three brothers uh graham my eldest there's a picture on the back wall of the three of us, but Graham is my eldest. He was uh, president of the British Plastic Surgeons. I'm very proud of that. And he also, as a schoolboy, uh, was a bit of a hero, head of head of house and um, captain of boats and various things when he was at university. But he um, also played rugby for the North of England against Australia. He's got the, the shirt from that, which is very special. And then tragically, my middle brother, David, uh, who was the probably the most brilliant of the three of us, doesn't take much to be more brilliant than me, but he, he was the smart, the smartest one of us all, I think, but, but chose to be a bit more chilled, laid back, experienced lots of life and various different uh, substances um but um tragically uh got metastatic cancer within 10 days within 10 weeks he was dead a couple of years ago and i really miss him um as we grew up i think money was was scarce definitely money was very scarce because if you look at what people get paid for repetitive strain injuries a typist and then you look at what the widow of a royal naval fighter pilot gets paid it's shocking that there's so little for those who serve and their families, but yet so much for some complaint about um, someone that harassed me and said nasty things to me and offended me or whatever it might be. I think it's just out of proportion completely. So she struggled with three boys. Uh, luckily, she had some relations like my great uncle Hector, who, who mucked in and helped out. And he paid for us, the three of us, to go to a boarding school school, St. Peter's in York. Um, but then the money ran out, really. And so my mother said that Graham and I, uh, David and I had to come back to Halifax, uh, where we went to the grammar school. I only just scraped in because I was, uh, as they described it at the time, one of my teachers kind of said I was thick. It turns out I had dyslexia, dyscalculia, but they, they just described me as thick. And I think they left let me into the grammar school as a, as, as a kindness rather than as a right. But um, I did make the most of that. Um, I went at school, I wasn't really one of those uh, school heroes who played cricket and rugby and football and was the captain of this and that, like so many of my fellow officers often were. Um, my talents were really more, I suddenly later on, I thought I just wasn't very good at anything. Uh, I thought I was thick, I wasn't very good at anything, I wasn't very fit, I was a bit scrawny. And uh, But I suddenly found that I had a bit of determination in me and stamina to keep running. A bit like Forrest Gump, you know, run, Forrest, run. 
And, and so I learned to run cross country and in all weathers in Halifax, uh, uh, blistering, uh, freezing weather, um, I would run. And then I, I learned about orienteering. And I, even though I was dyslexic, I could, I could understand a map. I could see a map and it would turn into a three-dimensional image of the ground. And so I just found I was really, I like that. I could do that. And anything that was involved with sort of the scouts or things that, that were a bit army-like, I suppose. And, and the army then became my thing. I went to the army sixth form college, um, technical college for officers, and then Santa's uh, and found at Santa's, we just had our 44th reunion, uh, a group of friends in my platoon, about 28 of us. And, and I, was actually not a loser. I was pretty good at this. And they made me a cadet corporal. And I made friends with people like Rod Thomas, who you know well, and uh, Adrian Baxter. And uh, Greville Bibby was our junior under officer, became a brigadier. And then Errol Stewart, who was our best man when you and I got married in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. He was there. And Himal General Himalaya Tapper from Nepal. And there are all these sort of friends that we, um, we, we made from that time. Um, so then I, I went in. I had a variety of... Uh, roles in different regiments people normally stay in just one regiment not me i was a little a little more uh interested in in how i could give my best to the service learn the most began in the royal signals for about 10 years really enjoyed that had a great time then got a scott scars attachment which was a great fortune just after the falcons that was amazing a platoon commander with them in cyprus um, and then I realized that the infantry was, you know, the, the heart of the army as an officer, uh, to be an infantry officer is, is the heart of it, and joined the prestigious Green Howards. Um, and, and during my army career, such a variety of different roles, really. I was um, an instructor at Santa's. I went back there. That was that was a seminal moment because I found there was a whole load of people who were way better than me. And that's when I had my I sort of come to Jesus moment where I had to realize what is inspiring leadership all about. But that's a story from the time. I was adjunct of my regiment, the second division signal regiment, which was a great job working with John Griffin, uh, ex-SAS commanding officer, taught me an awful lot. Uh, I was a spy during the Cold War um, in an electronic warfare regiment. Uh, I can tell you this without killing you afterwards because <laughs> Mark Urban, the... Um, the correspondent came and spent a week with me in the trenches and with the vehicles and all our linguists learning about us listening to the Russians and then published an article about it in the Telegraph, I seem to remember. So it's it's all out there working back to GCHQ. Um, Scott Scars was great because that's where I did the double mountain marathon. I hold the world record. I think it has not yet been broken for uh, eight hours and nine minutes from sea level to the summit uh, through checkpoints and then uh, the second day you run a different route back down the mountain with a team of three of you. Um, and the other couple of exciting roles, ADC to the head of the army, Phil Marshall, the Lord Inch, who's now passed away, uh, who was quite a scary man. He he put the fear of God into many people. And I just survived. My predecessors have both been fired for not coming up to scratch. So I, I lived in fear of uh, getting things wrong there, but I learned a lot. And then commanding my company, which was a warrior armored fighting vehicles in Bosnia and air mobile uh, role in Germany. Uh, staff college, chief of staff of regional brigade. And then I sort of thought, I'm not going to be get to the highest echelons. I'm not going to be a general. There's guys who are brighter and better than me. I'll do my MBA. Um, from there, the army management consultants from there, Coopers, which taught me an awful lot. It was a great uh, first step out of the army. And uh, then joined IBM because they bought us. 
um, and then became managing director of a PLC for about uh, 10 years. And then people said, why don't you go on your own and do it yourself? I thought, oh, I'm not really, I've always been in big organizations, but there's a bit of an entrepreneur in me somewhere. And I certainly think that I think you encouraged me to make the step and I, I could do it myself. And thank you for that. Um, and then sort of here we are now living in Lincolnshire. And uh, there's a bit of a how, but that's a bit of the story, really. Yeah, lovely. I think it's, you, you've got a lovely story. I do listen to your stories, I promise, um, because you repeat them so often. I can almost <laughs> <at> this <laughs> So, But talk to us about the little time where you were working as the ADC and you may have made a little error uh, in your calendar and uh, oh, no. what, were the, well, what was the <laughs> what happened as a result? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, the the two previous ADCs uh, had both been slaughtered by Field Marshal Lynch for getting the slightest thing wrong, mm. and so I was in fear of getting things wrong. And and the only person Field Marshal Lynch was afraid of was when he'd been ADC to General uh, Desmond Gordon, uh, who is now an older man but still ferocious. And and he said to me one time, very early in my job. He said, look, if General Desmond Gordon rings, whatever I'm doing, I know I'm the head of the army and meeting the prime minister and the queen and various things, but I really must go and have, if he wants me to have lunch with him or dinner, I must go. And uh, so one day phone goes, and I go, hello, uh, ADC to the chief of the general staff. It felt very important. And he goes, General Desmond Gordon here. I went, oh, no, this guy really is important. I must get this one right. He said, lunch friday the club and i went i just looked through the general star and i went i'm terribly sorry sir he, he's with uh, margaret thatcher oh okay that's that beats me okay all right uh what about you i said what do you mean sir what about me do you want to come and have lunch with me i thought i don't have a life i don't exist i'm just in service of the the boss oh that's very kind sir thank you but of course it was the general's diary not mine i didn't really have a diary because i just did his stuff and for some reason, I didn't write a note in there for myself. And the day came, and then Colonel Nigel Hall came in and he saw me, and I hadn't seen him for ages. He was from my regiment. He said, Jonathan, where should you be? And I go, here, um, you know, getting some sandwiches for the general. Oh, no, I should be having lunch with General De Oh, I know, I'm going to die. You know that when the sweat runs down the back of your shirt or your blouse and you think, I am going to die. I am so dead. And I, this is this is terminal. This is end of my my because the other two guys they'd both been exited from the army. Not only did this finish <laughs> being ADCs before they should have done, but they were then they were made redundant. Uh, and I'm sure there's no coincidence that it happened. So I thought this is really end of end of career. So I go, wow, I must apologise. So I thought I'll write a letter. So I wrote a letter to General Desmond apologising, saying it was just complete oversight on my part I completely forgot no excuses I thought can't lie because you think can I make an excuse that the hurricane hit my house and I was you know washed ashore <laughs> in a by Moby Dick or so I don't know I just I, could I you know and this is where the integrity comes in you know you cannot lie you've got to tell the truth and then I thought I better ring him so I rang his home and I got uh Lady Langley and I said hello it's Jonathan I explained the situation and there was a quiet pause and she said oh my dear you are in trouble. I thought, oh no. <laughs> so there I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to tell the boss, you know, if Inge hears about it, 
because you get inged, syringed, and you know, <laughs> you know he, he would just kill shredded brigadiers and fed them out in small bits of meat under the door. You know, no one survived doing anything, doing anything wrong with him. And so I went in, I have to give him something good news. So I took some business cards, a box of business cards. This was the eighth iteration. Nothing was ever quite right. Attention to detail. He loved it. And this was gold. It was embossed. It was the right size, the right font, all this kind of stuff. And I stood there by the door and he ignored me. There's the power play, very senior people. And um, he ignored me for about five minutes. So I thought, does he know? No, perhaps he doesn't. I'll just wait. And he went, yes. What is it, Jonathan? So tone of voice. We're OK. We're in here. I said, I've got those business cards for you. The gold embossed ones with chief of general staff on. Oh, do bring them over. So I brought them over. I put them to him. And it passed muster, as they call it. it. He was happy with them. He went, good, well done, that's great. And I just stood there beside him. And he went, what is it? He said, uh, sir, I've made a mistake. So oh, it can't be important. What have you done? I went, here <laughs> goes. Right. I forgot to have lunch with General Desmond Gordon. He went, oh, my God. And literally, he went white. He said, you must write to him. I've written to him, sir. You must ring him. I've rung him, sir. Just Go away. It wasn't your fault. It was like, go away. And he just didn't talk to me for about a week. I mean, really petty. We were in the staff car together. There's only the driver, me and him, and just wouldn't talk to me. So I knew I was in the bad books. And um, But then, uh, two weeks later, I get this phone call. Hello. Uh, hello, ADC to the Chief General Staff. General Desmond here. Oh, my God. I thought, no, no, I can't. <laughs> and he went, lunch, the club, Wednesday. I said, uh, for the field marshal, sir? I said, no. He said, for you. I went, uh, I won't forget, sir. He went, I know. And do you know what? He was lovely. He was the nicest man you could possibly... He's almost like an uncle I wish I'd ever had. And uh, listened to me, he commiserated with me about how difficult my boss was to work for and <laughs> congratulated me on surviving. I think I was at six months at that stage i did make it all the way through to the end of my 12 months just but there were a couple of occasions including that one where i almost got fired but um yeah what an experience and uh being prompt on time you know how excitable i get about being late don't you oh uh, i don't know maybe you know um, <laughs> <laughs> there might be an anxiety in there somewhere um for somebody who's so laid back and irish about these things it's like yeah We'll get there don't worry <laughs> so anyway what what i'm curious about i think that's really poignant though you had two very different leaders with very different styles um what did you learn about leadership from that experience that you took with you probably not in the moment because actually it was very anxiety inducing but beyond it when you reflect back what did you learn about those leaders that yeah. really inspired you yeah, I think uh, from General Desmond Gordon, he actually asked me, what have you learned? Uh, mm -hmm. And I said, you know, uh, to be more organized, to have my, my diary, to double check on things, to not let people down um, because you, you're you're messing them around and their time and the impact of, of your oversight has huge implications for a number of other people as a leader. Don't ever forget that. Um, and to be have high integrity and admit when you're wrong a, a lot of people try and cover up um say it wasn't their fault you see this in politicians all the time um they point the finger in all different directions but never at themselves so i think it's really good 
go honest early mm. and admit your mistake and then aim to rectify it. And from Phil Marsh Lynch, I don't think it really helps. I think the old school used to think it's good to, and, and many of the leaders I come across or people who work for some of these leaders think that fear and intimidation and uh, superiority and uh, cutting people dead or uh, cutting them out by not making eye contact or speaking to them would really encourage them to be better at what they do. It doesn't. It just freaks you out and you just go into paralysis. Um, the amygdala goes into shutdown, the, the, um, the threat response center, freeze, flight, fight, and all that kind of response. So it's not a good thing. I don't want to ever do that myself. And to think what it's like at the other end for the other person, particularly when they're junior like I was and inexperienced and not suited to being an aide-de-camp to the head of the army, um, I, was, I was really pretty um, average at it. The guy after me, Clive, uh, Richards was just a star at it. He would have been a star at sport. He just glided in and did everything right and had lots of um, uh, charm and uh, anticipated what the great man would want. So um, I, I think there's some jobs I'm suited to. ADC to a head of the army was not one, but I, I did survive. <laughs> I, I, I will survive. <laughs> and you're here today. I'm here today. Um, and I think there is something that strikes me about what makes an inspiring leader, which is so rare. You can kind of get good leaders, but can you get great inspiring leaders? I think that's rare. And it's almost like the system, the culture depletes the energy and the, um, I suppose, the the opportunity for raising up those inspiring leaders into positions of authority that actually helps to ignite the rest, the performance of the rest of the organization. It's so rare to come across it. I've seen this with with our events when we've done motivational speaking and facilitation. And we've kind of said, you know, who, who here has experienced inspiring leaders? And you kind of get maybe a few hands. And then who here has experienced expiring leaders and, you know, mm. toxicity? And you kind of go, oh, I've got so much to say about this topic. And it's almost like the system surrounds it. And it's, it's almost like you've got the courageous leaders that break through or kind of, you know, you you fall into a pattern of kind of what the culture is, what the system is, what the the structure is, what the protocols are, um, and which creates this culture of fear. Um, so it's lovely that you've got this wonderful story of a leader that a mistake happened, but there was a way to approach it that actually was transformational, not just in that moment, but you carry that story right through to at the grand old age or young age of 62. Um, but you carry it with you now as one of your most inspiring stories of leadership. And mm. I think that's sometimes we forget the power of in those moments of truth, in the moments that matter, we can actually really just pull somebody down in the moment, but also in the lifetime or really lift them up and change their world. So it's a, it's a lovely story. Yeah, I'm sure you. I'll hear it another thousand times more <laughs> <laughs> over the course of our marriage together. <laughs> so, um, so okay, thank you for sharing that. So let, let's turn a little bit back to the podcast and these amazing leaders, CEOs, athletes, um, diplomats, you name it, from around the world, this wonderful um, group that you've pulled together 
in 300, well, 299, because this is the 300th, but 299 podcasts that you've pulled together. And it's almost like, how, how have the lessons that they've kind of shared with you, how's that shaped your executive coaching, your teamwork, everything that you do today? Mm, that's a really good question. Um, so, so firstly, it sort of began back in about 2019. Um, I was going to a staff college reunion of all my colleagues and some had gone on to become you know, four-star generals, done very well. Uh, others had, like us, had gone to business, things like that, a real collection of people. And while I was there, I met the Commandant at Santos, General Major General Paul Nansen, did a, a fireside chat beside him, which I made a video um and people really liked that and so then i interviewed lieutenant general sir nick pope that became episode one um alison nimmo dame alison nimmo she was the ceo of the crown estate i was coaching her exactly. that was episode two um uh paul was episode three uh he's now become a leadership coach himself um i'm sure he was perhaps thinking about it when we met but it certainly accelerated his decision to go into coaching after he'd been a very very fine leader in the fuselage and then um, Philippa Snare, who is the senior vice president at the trade desk and uh, was also CMO at Microsoft and uh, Facebook, a great leader. I always remember one of her quotes about not rushing to fill a slot when you're missing someone, but taking your time to choose someone. She mm -hmm. said, I'd rather have a hole than an asshole. And <laughs> you know, don't, don't rush into getting someone because then you spend so long trying to get rid of them. So yeah, th those were some of the people. And and it, it comes back to, you know, my father's example as an inspiring leader, my mother in her own way with her philanthropy like you, there's such a lovely connection with you, you being the CEO of the Inspiring Leadership Foundation for these victims of violence against women and girls and, and all that you're doing around the world and our ride for unity in the UAE, which you just come back from. It's a lovely combination of those things that I wanted to learn from inspiring leaders. I think there's probably some... Uh, psychologists would have a field day with me but I think the loss of my father meant I was looking for other inspiring leaders to learn from and and get that sort of uh paternal advice so yes I was in a military male dominated because women didn't come in for quite a long time environment and so hunted out really good mentors which I'll talk about perhaps later uh, that I, I got many over the years and I was hungry to learn and to grow from them so really the podcast uh, with your help, because I wrote Inspire Leadership, then you wrote Inspire Women Leaders, then we did the top tips for Inspire Leaders uh, and top tips for Inspire Women Leaders. Um, those those books and your your next one, the uh, Inspire Leadership and the Toxic Turnaround, they all encouraged us as we created this, what's the model? What's our learning from all the research that we've done over the years that makes Inspiring Leaders? And And I wanted to interview a lot more. And so I just thought, this is my way of giving back. Um, as yet, I haven't monetized it, but one day I will get around to doing that, <laughs> uh, which is people tell me you're a complete idiot because you can make absolute fortune from it. But it, it's not really the purpose. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I want to learn from certain leaders, have their stories that I can share in workshops and offsites I do around the world with you and with others, um, but also have it as uh, connections for other leaders that I'm coaching to ask them questions based on such a huge database of interviews and coaching sessions, 
you know, people talk about 10,000 hours of personal practice. I've been coaching, maybe done 100,000 hours of coaching over the last 20 years. Um, and so it's a real privilege to meet people. And I'm genuinely interested in their stories. I, I love to know people's life stories. And, and that's where you learn so much. Everybody has something to teach you. If only you would listen. Everybody, even even utter grumbly old bastards who who <laughs> want to make your life miserable you've got something to learn from no 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 not you you're, 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 said very, that you're very kind you're very kind but actually I do think there's something in this where um I actually think there's an authenticity in the way that you are genuinely curious about other people which I actually I don't think I can name any other person that is as authentic as you mm. when it comes to actually really caring about the other person and really wanting to know I've got so much to learn from you I know I know that um because actually you you have so much time and dedication to making a difference to the one person that's right in front of you um and it's so special to watch mm. and I'm sure it's so amazing to experience for all of the people that you coach and you develop along the way that people feel heard understood not judged um it's really unique um and I think there's the process of coaching there's the system of coaching but what really strikes me is, you know, for, for an ex-military man <laughs> um, and a, a corporate leader that's, you know, you could have gone a certain direction, but you chose a different path, which is in service of not just people, but the individual person as a unique individual that says, I care, you matter. And I've really not, apart from Faisal over in the UAE, another amazing leader, and who was the leader from UPS? Uh, yes, um, uh, Cesarone. Um, um, I'm just trying to think of his name. Um, um, it will come to us. Nando, the, Nando Cesarone. Nando Cesarone. Episode 204, yeah. There's these, and Matt Oppenheimer from mm. Remitly. There's, there are these unique individuals and it's almost like beyond the task, beyond the process of the work that you do. It's if I were to look at individuals that stood up out there that actually just really cared compassionately, deeply about the individual person, you, you really strike me. And I know there's an awful lot of um, uh, research and analysis around gender and types and different things like that. You guys really strike me as being very different to the norm. It's so special to watch and experience. And I think there's so many leaders that can learn from that process. So how do you switch or even how do you tap into that side of you that almost goes beyond the ego, beyond the self, beyond the power? You are very successful. You don't have to care at that level. And yet you do, you know, you've got clients where you've said, you know, you know, they've struggled within their families and you've coached their families, you've coached their 
children and inspired them. And nobody will ever know that, right? Because that's not that's not what you do. Um, but you care so much about the success of every person and everything within their surroundings, their team, their organization, or their children. Their that you know, where does that come from? What what inspired mm. you to be like that? Well, firstly, thank you. I mean, it's such a lovely acknowledgement. Um, and I feel seen and heard. Um, and I actually feel quite moved by that. Um, I won't tear up. I normally am the one who tears up first on these things. I'm going to try by the end of this podcast to make you yeah. tear up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now you've made me laugh, so I got away from that one. Um, I, I do think a, a, a single-parent family upbringing with a mother who was struggling and um, who realized that I was struggling academically and physically and said, don't worry, you'll be good with people. Now, she was very determined that I would become a general as well, um, which wasn't to be. You know, she was imagined herself to be Admiral Sir Paul and Lady Perks. And he was the, you know, one of the most talented pilots in the Navy at that time. But he was killed way before his time. So there, I think there was a certain amount of um, expectation that I would something good would come from what I do. And and even though various doors closed, um, I found in the army, um, it gave me a, a great foundation, which is serving me well now as I do sort of weight training with you in the gym with a personal trainer or we cycle seven days across seven Emirates um, at 62. <laughs> um, what crazy thing we do. Um <laughs> and you're 50 about to be 50 um and uh and you don't definitely don't look 50 so you're getting away with it well um but bright i lights. i think <laughs> bright lights bright lights, bright lights um i think i think learning the skills of being interested in people did come from my mother i do remember we would leave church and we'd be heading home and there'll be a little old lady who's shuffling along with two carrier bags like the Beatles song and her whole life is in those carrier bags and my mother stops and she says where are you having lunch and little old lady says well I don't live anywhere I'm not having a lunch she said you are today and she picks her up and she gets in and no fuss is made even though she stinks of urine and there's there's you can almost see the bugs jumping off her onto us as we shuffle across in the back seat of the car but she takes her home and she um, looks after her, treats her just like us, gives her lunch and then takes her back to carry on with her life. Now, you could say she should then make her live with this all the time, but there's there's limits to that because she did it to so many people. But I saw my mother go to visit so many people, little old ladies in nursing homes, to to be kind to them and to listen to their stories. So I think it was innately in there, plus the Quaker background about listening and being curious and not being arrogant. Plus, I had amazing experiences in meeting the Queen uh, to get my MBE. And she made me feel seen and heard in my 90 seconds that I have with her. She had no earpiece. She had no notes. But she made me feel special. And also meeting Diana for that that short moment when she visited the regiment. And, and they just have that presence. And I, I suppose I I just realized that it's the it's the story of the starfish, isn't it? That if if you can make it, and that story of the starfish 
always almost makes me cry because you're walking on the beach in a tropical climate. You see the starfish all washed up on the beach. And there's a little figure of someone doing something on the beach. And as you get closer, you realize a little old lady and she's picking up the starfish and she's throwing them to the sea. And you go, what are you doing? There's thousands of them dying here. What's the point? She said, picks another one up and she throws it in the sea. She said, I made a difference to that one. Now that, that's at the heart of why I do what I do. If I can make a difference to one person before I die in their lives, being a better, more inspiring leader, then and this is why I like working with CEOs, because if I can help the CEOs be more inspiring leaders, those men and women can then have a huge influence on the largest possible number of people. I can't be everywhere doing everything, but this is why the podcast is so nice. It goes out to 125 countries, thousands of people download it. It is because I want to get the things I've learned and I'm keen on teaching and developing others so that they benefit like I benefit. Yeah. I remember my one of my first experiences with you is um, I think there was something about how you see people, like really, really see people, almost like at the at a deeper level. Um, but you are courageous and confident enough and skilled enough to manage the conversation that says actually you can you can be even more inspiring if you just enhance this particular skill. I can remember I was like minimize some um, on helium at the time when I met you. And this and telemanagement and this and the strategy and all the rest of it. And you came in, you, you taught me how to move from just being on hyperbabble, excitement, visionary, to being a true leader that cared. I still work in progress, by the way. I don't think I'm there. But a true leader that cares deeply about listening to the input and contribution of, of others without just being on this kind of almost like monologue. Um, and it's not that I didn't care about others, but it was just, I didn't know how to switch across. And you really challenged me on that. You also challenged me on actually finding my true purpose in life, which is, you know, the reason why I've written a book the reason why I've set up the business, the reason why I have um, set up the charity. And I find a meaning and a purpose that go, it is so profound that every day is a joy to wake up to. Also, because I'm now married to you as well. Um, you are my source of inspiration. And I'm really, really grateful for that. And I know that many leaders, many executives, many CEOs, will have experienced you where they've had the most confidential, vulnerable conversations with you. Um, they've put everything on the line, entrusted their most darkest secret, and, and you have helped them through. And that's really, really special. Um, so uh, first of all, just gratitude. I wanted to appreciate you okay. for that, but also um, that there's a real, acknowledge the authenticity um, and the skill it's not just about authenticity, you can be authentic, but you need real skill and real courage to almost like bring that into organizations, bring that into the role that you do, which is almost like that external person that every every individual in an organization hopes that, you know, somebody will challenge the leader, somebody will support the leader to make them even more effective, to not just make the leader better, but the whole organization 
more effective as a result of the work that you do. And um, and I think in the diluted world of coaching, it's almost like become um it it it, it it's lost in the sense of actually what it can achieve in terms of transformational change, not just in terms of the system and the output and the outcomes, but in terms of the culture of an organization as well. And again, I just want to acknowledge the the pleasure it is to work alongside you, um, but also to observe you as the expert in your field, um, which I know that you are. Well, well, let's just say thank you. Uh, and it's almost like someone I often say to people, uh, write down what you want to say at someone's funeral about how special they are and what they mean to you. And you've just done that to me now. And I wasn't expecting that at all. So, did I get you yeah, to tear up? <laughs> you did. You bloody did. Um, but thank you. Um, no, I know. And, and just it, it was so lovely and it came across so authentically. I, I feel definitely seen and heard. But it, it's so lovely to be alive and hearing it rather than be the old <laughs> stiff in the in the coffin when, when you're saying these words when I've gone. So, yeah, yeah I, I want to hang around a bit longer. I've got more to do. Oh, you've got so much more. You're going to live the 100-year life, my dear. You know that. Anyway, let's move on to something a little bit. Let's take us out of this zone and think about all of the 299 guests um, that you have actually interviewed. And I know that you've loved every single... You've taken something out. You come out of your office energized every time you've done a podcast because mm. you've loved the conversations with people. So this is a really unfair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If you were to pick a few of all of the guests that you really enjoyed, who were those guests and what were the reasons for it? Yeah, well, uh, as you say, so many. I mean, I made uh, friends with people mm. that I've never actually physically met, particularly during the pandemic, you know, like four years ago. Um, and we've stayed in touch and we've co-coached each other that I've never physically met them. But it's like because of the quality of the conversation we had in advance of the podcast to prepare for it and then the podcast, I just feel I just feel seen and heard and see and hear them that we we have such a close relationship. So that's the, the first thing. There's been a number of people like that. Uh, Jeff Nishwitz, Will Hogg, um, uh, to name but a few, uh, and also... Uh, you know, one, two fellow coaches, but um, the ones that have really influenced my coaching and some of the uh, team offsites that I do around the world, sometimes with you, sometimes on my own, I think a, a very influential one is Stephen Covey and, and his book, uh, Trust and Inspire is, is back here. He was episode 299. So it's very recent for me. And it's it's just gone, just gone live the other week. Um because he encapsulates everything that you and I believe in. And also he's been very influenced by Stephen Covey Sr. So this is Stephen Covey Jr., Father's Don, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, came out 50 years ago, all right? It's been, it's been a seminal book. So he was very influential. Uh, Commander David Marquet, who wrote a number of books, but two very powerful ones, Turn the Ship Around. He was episode 120. Uh, Turn the Ship Around and Leadership as Language. And to actually get him on the podcast was a great uh, um, feeling of uh, a, a, a moment that I was proud of. And lovely guy, um, very down to earth, uh, very sort of quite factual. He, he's a submarine commander, took the, the worst damn ship in the Navy, turned to the best damn ship in the Navy. 
And then, as I mentioned, Jeff Nishwitz, who was episode 138, Jeff and I become friends and he's since become the CEO of a, a legal firm. He had a background in law, but, but he had this ability to uh, have a conversation with you on a depth and a level that few people ever have. He, he runs mankind programs for men to get together and discuss kind of issues. But boy, Jeff can really listen to you. And he just calls out, he goes, I'm really curious about this. And you go, wow, how did you, how did you nail it as that? So very insightful. And then the other thing which has been a lot of fun were the CEO forums where I got a number of the CEOs who I was coaching and brought them together in a forum, not only on the podcast, but also we used Clubhouse, which was popular during the pandemic, uh, where it was live, uh, just audio but you couldn't record it and you couldn't save it. So it was a bit of a shame. So if you didn't listen to it, you'd lost it. And then, oh, so many favorite guests. But if I picked out a few, Admiral Mike Manazir, episode 270. Uh, this was a, a really related to my father. So he was an American Top Gun pilot. Uh, he com commanded the US Nimitz, which is, is huge. I think it's like 5,000 people on board this aircraft carrier. Certainly more than 2,000, maybe about 5,000 and various other ships, but but a lovely lightness about the man, as well as clearly excellence and inspiring leadership was at the heart. And he's done his own um, sort of newsletter and podcast and book, um, which is well worth uh, well worth reading Mike Manazir's book, which is in my book reviews. And then the other four that I want to mention, I think Lord Richards, General the Lord Richards, uh, who was Chief of the Defence Staff, episode 298, uh, what a life that man has led and uh, very driven, very ambitious. Um, but, you know, he took a situation in Sierra Leone where he went in for a, a small, uh, a small operation and turned it into changing the life of the country and stopping the war. I mean, phenomenal guy. Um, now still busy doing lots of things and keeping very active with the Gurkhas and the like. And then the double the double act of Matt Oppenheimer, episode 43, and Deanna, episode 80. Uh, Deanna was the one I was coaching when she was CEO of Barclays and very honoured to work with her top team there when she ran EMEA for Barclays as well. That that I learned so much from her, which I've used with many other CEOs and, and their top teams around the world. And then she said, I, I think you'd be a great coach for my nephew, Matt Oppenheimer, who's just with his friend, um, Josh, uh, set up a um, business which is sort of online remittances called Remitly. And so we we had these calls, no work for a while because he had his own coach, but we, we just stayed in touch. And this is the thing about you know, it's worth developing relationships. If they're, if they're worth the test of time, Sometimes you don't get paid for them, but then there'll come a moment when they do invest in you and you invest in them. But that investment up front built a trusted relationship, which you and I now do some great work with Remitly. Uh, and we've been over to Seattle to see them. And we've been to Israel to work with uh, one of the acquisitions they had over there. And just you've been to Ireland and things like that. They're a great organization. And he is probably one of the top CEOs. And when I think of how a CEO should behave. I think, how would Matt Oppenheimer behave? And how attaches he to his mission and his purpose and his values? And is this CEO I'm working with now of that level of quality that a man as young as Matt uh, has already got right, or even Deanna? And then finally, uh, you and I flew with Emirates Airlines there and back. 
but everybody we meet um seems we turned to... left instead of right <laughs> yeah we, we turned left instead of right oh it was very exciting for a change uh, um but they all talk about Catherine Baird, uh, episode 229, yeah. the senior vice president of Emirates cabin crew, who did such a lot to inspire and give of her best and role model what being good cabin crew is about and service, things like that. And there's so many people I've met who worked with her. And uh, we, in fact, when we were in the Emirates, we, we caught up with Alexander Niggy and who was doing one of the top marketing jobs in Emirates Airlines, and he recommended her. And that's one of the great systems is inspiring leaders recommend other inspiring leaders. Yeah. And I think the agencies are constantly, uh, you know, emailing me, oh, I've got this person, please, can you have them on their podcast? I don't know what they're like. I don't know whether they are inspiring. They're paid to pr promote this person. They say, oh, they're great. But actually, I'm very rarely taking people from agencies mm -hmm. because I can't be sure that they're going to be inspiring leaders. But when you've got someone like Alexander, who I was coaching, who was inspiring, recommending Catherine, mm -hmm. that that is gold dust because one inspiring leader recommending this person really inspires me. And you go, well, you're inspiring, but if they inspire you, they must be even better. Yeah, uh, That's my, my thought of some of the, the, the best and the ones who shaped me, but there's many more. And that's what's lovely is I've I've seen you be very courageous and I'm not always in that space in terms of the conversation that you need to have with people. Um, so I have um, seen this, the, the integrity of the podcast um, has been really important to you. Um, and to, to the point where people have shown up, you know, potential people for the podcast um, and if you look at the social media profile and if you look at the LinkedIn pro and everything across the platforms that say, wow, they're amazing. And then you dig deeper and you realize that actually there are connections with the UN, there are connections to contribution to society, the connections with charity. There's a disconnect. Um, it's all about what's out there. And it's, it's, it's really incongruent. Um, and that investigative process that you go through to make sure that the people who are on your podcast are are actually representative of the brand. Um, it And then to have the courage, because some of us will go, oh, we'll just interview them anyway. But you don't. You have this courageous conversation to say, actually, it's not appropriate that you're on this podcast at this time or whatever. It's there's a You are very boundaried around it as well, and it's a real inspiration to see that because sometimes with inspiring leadership it's not just about the nice stuff it's about the tough conversation that you need to have with people that says actually no not now it might maybe in the future but not now it's not representative of the brand the culture um etc and that's sometimes what people need to hear but we're so afraid to give that feedback um because of the the implications the impact the the retribution, whatever it is along the way that that, that we feel uncomfortable with. Mm. Just any thoughts on that before we... Yeah, um, I, I think I, I perhaps let a couple through in the early days when my gut was, they're not really very inspiring. They're very self-serving mm. and um, I'm a bit underwhelmed. Um and out of kindness, I thought it went, oh, yeah. But but as you say, it does undermine the quality of the podcast and what people are expecting. They are expecting inspiring leaders, you know, people who 
are humble. Uh, they've got humanity. And they've got a nice sense of humor. It's not the big I am. I don't want those people. I don't want the huge egos. I certainly wouldn't have anybody like Boris or Trump on there if they, if they, if even if their agency approached me, <laughs> I'm sure they won't want to be on my podcast. But, but um, that there are some, or Liz Truss. I mean, they're just some ghastly people who who are mm. so self-serving, and and we we shouldn't have them on. So now I have had the, the more recent conversations where it's not right, you know. Perhaps in five years' time, when you've got more experience and you've done some other things, but this is very early on in your journey, and and I don't think you're ready yet for it. Yeah, I, I suppose this leads nicely on. So we've done some major research globally around what makes an inspiring leader, um, and statistically proven model, and it's it's the outcome of which is what we call the inspiring leadership compass. It's got eight components in, in terms of the 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 intellectual kind of the, the the skill of the leader and then there's kind of some internal um how we create boundaries and balance our lives so there's the four components which actually um is about our energy and focus so myself my relationships my organization my society so that's how we place our energy but the external components are very much about the the skill and the quality and the capability um, and the character, I suppose, of the leader. And that leads me very nicely into the first component, which is MQ, which is all about your your kind of your morals, your values, your belief systems, your true north, not magnetic, wavering north all over the place, but actually what you stand for and the integrity that sits around that. So what have you learned well, that, that's an interesting one, because, of course, I'm just doing my bit of looking at the time. And I know that we can make this into two parts because we have got a whole nother chunk to do. And I want to do MQ and the others in part two after we take a break in a moment. Yeah. But before we do that, can I share with you one of the questions that I used to ask them is what were the best um, advice you'd give yourself if you went back you traveled back to the future and you visited yourself aged 16 to 18 and i think that'd be quite a nice way just to end this part one we'll yeah. have a short break and then we'll be back with part two in the following week so so does that sound like a deal that sounds like a deal mr perks okay <laughs> okay so i think uh some of the best bits of advice um that uh, I'll leave on this episode is uh, General Andrew Mackay, episode 181. He said, um, uh, what you don't know is far more important than what you do know. So read, be curious, think widely and, and, and broaden your, your mindset. And I think that bit of advice to young people listening now or people at any stage of their career all leaders are readers but not all readers are leaders is another famous quote and in my case i struggled to read because i'm dyslexic but then later in my career i wish it had happened earlier i wish it audible and things like that audiobooks had happened when i was 15 because i think i would have learned far quicker and I remember reading through some really dull army tomes and volumes, and I was trying to read it. And it was just a, the pages were a blur, but I knew I had to study about trench warfare systems and how big they were and how to 
position them around a company battalion position and, all this kind of, and i and i would read and then reread it and then reread it and it just was going through however when i listen to audiobooks as you know i'm listening to at least one a week which is why i've got 70 audiobook reviews that i've written up on the website which are free for people to have listened to um I learned so much. I'm listening to War and Peace. I mean, it's 70 hours, War and Peace. You wouldn't get me reading the book, but you get me listening to War and Peace. It's fascinating. So I think that's a great bit of advice from General Andrew Mackay, who's now a CEO, but he was a major general in the heart of some really tough fighting in Afghanistan and, and a very inspiring leader. The other bits of advice were be less intense. I mean, uh, you know with me, I am... <laughs> I'm born to be intense. And and I think perhaps I'm somewhere on the spectrum in some ways. And this is why <laughs> I've I've focused in on podcasting and CEOs, trusted leadership advisor and, and uh, team team coaching. But I think um lighten up a bit. And and I, I took myself too seriously over the years. And I think a number of the leaders look back and they go, I could have had a bit more fun. I could have just lightened up a bit more. And you know, you've you lived life to the full. And you always have, and you had a, a lot more fun. So marrying you has been great because actually you catch me when I'm being like a sergeant major or I'm being far too serious or the timings or we're going to be late and do you know what time this is? You know, there's Lee time and there's Jonathan time and Jonathan time is five minutes before parade and Lee time is somewhere in the next two hours is okay. Um, but uh, so being less intense, um, one of the leaders said, uh, say yes more often. He said, looking back on my life, there were opportunities I was given and I did it. I, I was risk averse, he said. And actually I could have said yes and experienced a whole load of amazing things. So I think a good bit of advice to our younger selves or to children that we have who are listening or various people is say yes more often. Mm -hmm. um, the, the biggest one, I think, is, is a great bit of advice. And I, I keep relearning this one is learn from failure. And and you talk about moments of truth, teachable moments uh, is is what moments that matter. But but when something's gone well or gone badly, have an after action review. Look back at it. What worked well? What would have made it even better? WWEBI or as Marshall Goldsmith taught us both, um, GDD. What was good? What was difficult? What should we do differently? But learn from things you either succeed as said North matter or you you learn something um so that's a a strong one for us all and and the last two is integrity keep your word um and the importance of integrity should never be forgotten and that you know being a woman or a man of your word is really important that consistency they know that if you say you're going to be there on time you will be there on time and if you can't make it, you give them enough warning that you can't make it so they can trust you because trust is something we should talk about when we get into part two on the MQ. And then the final one was a lovely uh, one from uh, one of my CEOs. I coached the CEO of the Woodland Trust, Darren Moorcroft, who said, be courageous and confident in what you do believe, even at a young age, and 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 do stick with your values so those those are some of the the things i leave you before you want to wrap up so over to you okay. so uh really lovely and i completely agree with those i was very inspired by those particular podcasts and also um robin horsfall who mm. um he spoke about I, I i think with all of this um is our anxiety about ourselves our performance 
our contribution and, and understanding that we are enough. Um, and so he spoke about the fact that, you know, his advice, his wisdom to his younger self would have been believe in yourself. Mm. There is absolutely nothing wrong with you. It, and you can't change the external circumstances around you, but you can control how you feel about yourself, how you respond to things from within. And so he says, there's nothing wrong with you. Um, and find the thing that you're good at and build strong foundations for life. And I think that's something, um, it's almost like everything that you're describing, if you can come back to the core of that fundamental, that, that belief about yourself, who you are, and that you're okay, that you can embrace, you can embrace all of those different fundamentals as well um, for being successful in life. But it kind of starts from within. Mm. So I thought that was a, a beautiful expression of um, where everything begins, begins is, is that self-awareness, that self-acknowledgement, and almost that self-belief that's actually, I'm okay. And just, and then embracing life, but your version of it, nobody else's but your version of it. Mm. No, beautifully put, beautifully put. Well, that's a nice way to, that's a nice way to end part one. Um, and we look forward to speaking to you next week in part two. Yeah. Here we go. Bye for now, guys. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. We hope we've ignited your curiosity and broadened your perspectives. My guests and I provide this service to you for free. All we ask in return is that you share it now with one other leader you know, so they also benefit too. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your podcast platform. We value your feedback and invite you to connect with us through my website, jonathanperks.com, where you can sign up your weekly podcast newsletter. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm your host, Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and thank you for joining us on the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. You can hear another unique guest next Tuesday. Goodbye. Goodbye.